Welcome everyone to episode number seven of the Hopeful Majority. As always, I'm so grateful for your time. Today's question, how do we as individuals avoid the tribalism of of our politics? How do we actually think for ourselves? Again, another easy question at a time where we're being inundated with information and ideas and thoughts and questions and news sources. Today's guest is going to be Amir Odom, a fascinating individual, social media influencer, somebody that has a very unique identity in our politics, someone that you wouldn't expect to occupy the position he does. And importantly, this conversation sheds a light on how we can actually think for ourselves. And by the way, we're going to change this up a little bit. This episode, I'm going to actually put our conversation first, and then I'm going to have a reflection monologue because really this conversation shows, and I don't want to tell, I want to show the power of the hopeful majority. Remember every week, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content, we come at you live. We need your support. Here we go. Episode number seven. Let's hear me and Amir talk about where we are in our politics and who he is as a person. See you there. Amir Odom, welcome to the Hopeful Majority, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. All right, Amir. We were we were talking beforehand, and this is going to be unprecedented in the history of the show, but <laughs> you get to ask the first question, because I know you had a pressing question that we're going to hold for the audience. I did. How old are you? So I didn't know that we were going to start the show with just so much ageism right here, right off the bat. <laughs> I, I, I'm curious what the audience thinks. Okay, I'm not going to say it. What, what do you think? What do you think is the age that I operate at? That you operate at? No, no, no. Just actually, no. Real age. Real age. Oh, real age? I'm going to guess. Real guess. 24. That's right on. That's right on. That's, really? that's, that's exactly it. That is that is 100% it. Though, you know, back in 2017, our freshman year, uh, a bunch of my close friends that now run Bridge USA with us, mm-hmm. they they created, an or, they created a website called manumealtruth.org. And, and there I was perpetually uh, 13 years old. And the, the story in the block was, and, I, mm-hmm. and I'm going to regret saying this, but they, they made up a story that said that I committed voter fraud to vote for Jill Stein in, in, <laughs> in the 2016 election. What in the world? So, See, so I, I I've been 17 guess, on the record. I had to guess 24 because I'm like, okay, he's running this org, college related. And I know like it started like, you know, a few years back, but you act way older. <laughs> I, I think it, it, I think it, you're giving me too much credit. I, I don't, I wouldn't say I act, but I think it depends on who you ask. If you ask my, my brother, and my sister, they'd say I'm like 12. That's if fair. you asked, if you asked our, our mutual friend, Jess, who does all of the amazing marketing for bridge, she would say, I might be pushing 18. And, <laughs> and then, and then like, sometimes I'll meet an Uber driver. That's like, do you work in it? And are you 32? So I have no idea. What about you? What about you? I do. <laughs> I, I have an idea of, of how old you might be, but I feel like I've asked you this before. How old do you think I am? 27. You're spot on too. Wow. Yeah. I'm, it's uh, because I, th- I, I cheated. I think it's because I, I'd asked beforehand, but, but I'm getting but up there it, in, in all seriousness. Well, you might be getting up there, but if you go on Amir's Instagrams, he's got like what North of, you've got like 180, 200 case subscribers yeah. or followers, whatever they call it on Instagram. <laughs> I mean, you're growing, but more importantly, your YouTube went from 6,000 subs to 77,000 subs. Meanwhile, the yes. hopeful majority is, is currently at a rock solid 20. And so, Let's go. 
so what I what I want to ask you is before we get into any of that, the first time I ever met you, believe it or not, I was like the first time I ever met you, my first impression of you was you're an individual. And like what I mean yeah. by that is you've 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 got uh, identities of all different backgrounds. You're, you have so many different quote unquote labels that describe you. You would, as some might say on different sides of the political spectrum, a contradiction. Like yeah. you're, you're an individual, man. Like what, what makes you Thank an individual? You. Where, 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 where does that come from? Give us a little bit of that context. Yeah. Um, so pretty much growing up, especially in middle school, I was never, I never fit into a box. I got bullied all the time for not being white enough or being an Oreo or talking white. Um, and that really threw me down into depression because I, I just felt like, dang, I'm not fitting into this black box. I'm not, I don't have my black card. So I failed at that. Fast forward to high school, I, um, I come out as gay and I always say I flew out the closet. I didn't come out. I flew out. I, turned into the most stereotypical gay man that you probably can ever imagine solely because in middle school I was bullied for not being black enough and where did you so grow was, up uh, outside of Chicago in the suburbs and so I was like hmm middle school I wasn't black enough well high school I'm definitely gonna be gay enough <laughs> and so I ended up doing that for a year and I just was not happy and I just realized that I just have to be a mirror it is what it is. I don't care what I like. I don't care what I do. It's just going to be things that I'm enjoying. And I don't care what labels are attached to what or what's supposed to come with this label or that label. I just I always have to just do me. Um, and that's what's worked out, thankfully, for me in my life. And then that brings me joy to just be an individual, um, enjoy the things that I enjoy, and not let anything or anyone stop me from doing those things. So here's here's where I want to go with this. Um, you describe your you identify yourself as black as gay. We haven't touched on your politics yet, mm-hmm. and I, I and and let's pause on that for a quick second. I just want yeah. to ask you as you grew up through high school and that experience of as you said flying out of the closet and then mm-hmm. um, and leaving high school. Uh, the the sort of the the constant battling back and forth with your identity and the forces around you like how did you reconcile all of those different sort of forces like how did you find yourself as a individual as a person like, I feel like that takes a lot of courage um how yeah it definitely does I, I always go back to this and it's kind of like trigger warning very deep but like a failed suicide attempt honestly it just drove me to the brink like I was just stuck in this rut of deep depression and just wanted to leave, but I could never pull, you know, go through with it. Um, so after that, I was just like, you know what? Forget it all. Like nothing else matters, but this current moment in my life and what I'm doing. So whatever it is, I'm going to go after it. And it was at that very moment at the end of eighth grade was when I um really started to build up that courage to, you know, say, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And it was hard with the gay thing, but especially senior year of high school, senior year of high school, end of junior year, um, I something just clicked and I would just realize like none of this matters. Like I'm really going to talk to a lot of these people from high school. Um, so I just need to do what I need to do. I, I've 
so many thoughts on on where to take this, but one thing I want to just pause on, something we talk a lot about with respect to the hopeful majority is the importance of mental health when it comes to actually having these dialogues, having these conversations. Yeah. I mean, your story there just resonates with a lot of people. I have to ask you, and this is a total aside, but yeah. what what would you say to somebody that is in a similar state of mind right now listening to this that is in that deep state of depression or feels mm-hmm. like they've got nothing to go for? What gave you the, the resilience and persistence to to have that attitude of none of this matters and I'm going to be me. Yeah. To um, kind of take back that power. You know, when you're, when you're down that deep and depressed and lost, you kind of feel like you're just nosing around life and you're not really going anywhere, doing anything. You kind of feel like you're on autopilot, but it's only a matter of taking a step back and realizing that, you know what, you can't control some things in your life. And if there's one thing that you can't control, it's, your mindset, your daily habits, how you're looking at life, what are you doing to progress and to focus on that and know that those changes that you're making are going to reap benefits in your life to come. Because if you are that deep and depressed and you want to, you know, end your life, it's only a, a perspective switch to look at it from a different lens and say, you know what, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to let life Take its thing. Because the main motivator for me is death. If anyone asks me what motivates me the most, it's death. Because I don't know when it's going to happen. But until that day comes, I'm going to bust my butt to become the best version of myself. Because it's all that I can do. And provide something of value on this planet while I'm here in this time. So that's what really keeps me going is knowing that I do have the opportunity to bring forth change. It may be limited. I don't know when it's going to end. But I know that I do have the power to do that. So I'm going to work towards that. This is what's always fascinating to me and so personally fulfilling about these types of conversations is because we started with some random dumb jokes about our age and now we're on a serious topic about uh, uh, motivation being death and thinking about how to dig ourselves out of that hole. I know I can go here with you next because you and I know each other well and I have a deep admiration for your work. And so I got to ask you you. because the past couple of episodes, we've had folks from all across the political spectrum, not even talk about politics, but dig a little bit deep about what they think about America, what they think about our politics, what they think Mm -hmm. about our moment. Um, Anybody listening to your current conversation statement and given how much we operate in labels, and this is why I think your story is so special is it breaks those labels. People are going to immediately start thinking and putting you in a political box. Oh, yeah. You know, they hear you're gay, you're black, you've got a, a, a story regarding mental health issues, you overcame something significant in your childhood, you must be going one way. Mm-hmm. Take us to your politics. Man, well, I mean, a lot of my identity did play into my politics in the beginning. You know, being black and gay, I was always just taught and told that Republicans are all racist and homophobic. So I never even gave it an ounce of attention. I never thought to look over on the other side. I never thought to um, even hear anybody out. I just went along with the flow that they're all racist. So that was that for a lot of my life. Um, but I've always been outspoken. I've always been vocal. And so when it came to 2016, 2017-ish with Black Lives Matter, I really started to be more vocal politically and go out to the streets, go out to the Black Lives Matter rally. And I went to my first and last one because I didn't like what I was seeing. Um, I 
didn't hear any mention of black on black crime. I didn't hear any mention of black fathers not in the home. I didn't hear any mention of the drug problems. It was all white people bad. And so that was very confusing for me. And fast forward to, um, this was in college, uh, like a normal college student. I was on Tinder. I went on a date and I got red-pilled on a Tinder date at a Starbucks. That's the way to do it. And, yeah. And we were just talking about White Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter. And I realized in that moment that I was just regurgitating talking points. Like I wasn't even, there was no emotional tie to it. Like there were the emotions, but I didn't know what I was saying. I, I want to dig in on that deeper. How did yeah. you, yeah, you, and you're going there, you said regurgitating talking points. Whether you're on the right or the left, that seems to describe a lot of us these days. Oh, yeah. Like, why, how, did you, how did you come to that realization? Because all that the guy was asking was his genuine questions on how I felt. Well, why do you feel this way? Or, or why do you think this way? And I really couldn't answer it with the real question, with the real answer, because I was just regurgitating what I saw on Twitter. Twitter headlines, uh, what my favorite influencer was saying, what I saw in the story. Like I was just spewing out things, but I deep down I knew I wasn't really researching stuff. I wasn't really looking into it. Um, and so he encouraged me to look at other sides. And that's what I did. Uh, but yeah, I do I agree with you. That is what a lot of people do, is they just take what, what, whether it's the left or the right, they just take what they're saying and just spitting it out and not looking up things for themselves. But, he, you know, you just skipped over something which which sounds relatively simple but so hard to do these days, which is he's your friend encouraged you to look at other sides while you're on a date at Starbucks, yeah. um, which is coincidental that you got red-pilled at Starbucks. That in and know, of itself right? is ironic. And you were on a date. But putting that aside for a second, they encourage you to look at the other side. Mm-hmm. What about you do you feel made you willing to do that was there something about your temperament is there something about how you think about the world like why you know i can walk around the street and people will say manu look at the other side and i'll say great and then not actually do it what what makes you so open to doing that uh because i liked the guy (laughs) i knew he wasn't crazy um and i have and i i knew he wasn't crazy one but there were some seeds planted in my mind throughout the past year and a half that that really stuck with me and made me even more open to look at the other side. So for example, when I went to the Black Lives Matter rally um, and how I didn't like how it was a white people bad party and there was no accountability for black people's own actions. There was that. There was being in the Black Student Union on campus and it being a we hate white people party. And when I would bring up issues, they'd be like, man, what you talking about? Are we even going to talk about this? There was a Donald Trump, two things from Donald Trump that happened around that time. One was he was in Asia, I guess he was somewhere and he fed the fishes. And I remember there was an uproar about him feeding the fish, but then a clip comes out and the guy that he was with fed the fish first, but they cut it. So I was like, dang, media's lying there. And then Trump also had said that Chicago um, was two different Chicagos. You have touristy Chicago, and then you have like, you're getting shot Chicago. Um, Being from there, that is completely true. (laughs) There is places you can go, touristy, it's fun. And there's places you just do not step foot in. And so having those in the back of my head, I knew that I also wasn't being fed the total truth. I knew that that my side wasn't perfect. So it made me, you know, be more open to take a chance. 
there's almost two two things there that I want to pull apart. The first is that you were honest about the fact that what caused you to be willing to look at the other side was not even whether or not you were open-minded, but just the fact that somebody that trusted you was, and that you trusted it was telling you that. Exactly. That I, and I think that's actually a huge thing in our politics, man, is like when I think about it right now, there's no trust between people. And so when you have some random pundit that's like, hey, let's be open-minded, and you're listening to some random guy named Manu that's like, hey, you should be open-minded, try to be, try to listen to each other, that means nothing. But hearing that from a trusted person in your life, you're saying that has an impact on people. Mm-hmm. You know what's so funny? Um, I did a Q&A probably like two or three weeks ago and someone asked, what is something that you wish people understood about you or wish they knew about you? And my number one thing is that I wish people knew that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> um, that's the biggest thing is I wish people knew that. Why do you think people think you're crazy? Because I'm black gay and I talk about the things that I talk about and people are so polarized and you know they think that I'm just paid that I'm grifting that I'm a shill or that uh you know they're so wrapped up in their own mindset that they can't even entertain the thought of someone like me thinking the way that I do um and that's one of the things that hurts especially from people that I do know. It just happened today. Like this morning, I was like, my feelings were hurt a little bit because I met um, a guy in one of the one of my hobbies that I have, and we were cool. And then I went to go find his Instagram, and I'm like, I can't find it. So I went on my backup account, and I found him, and I was blocked. And I was like, Wow, it just goes like my politics and my views. Why not we get to talk about this? So things like that. That's the number one thing that I wish more people. You know, I I I. Uh relate to that in some ways, which is that I've procrastinated on building this this podcast and the show and getting out there for four and a half years, primarily because of the fear of being misunderstood. Yeah. Because because this feeling that like, I, I genuinely love this work. I believe that our society would be better if people are willing to talk to each other, listen to each other, be open-minded, be tolerant, be willing to accept and create space for others. And yet, People are going to say, Manu, you must be some centrist squish SpongeBob, you know, going around. And to your point, that's what mm-hmm. you're getting at. I got to ask you a second thing, though, because when you were talking about that story, which is yeah. you got red pilled at Starbucks. What made that more likely was because the person that was p- red pilling you was someone that, that, that you trusted. But secondarily mm-hmm. is you specifically made this jump away from what might be the liberal side, not necessarily because of what the Republicans believe, but it seems like because of many of the flaws on yes. that side. So mm-hmm. that that's the other thing I want you to dig a little bit deeper into is it's almost like you got red-pilled in that moment, not because you necessarily believed in the views of the Republican Party, but because it seemed like you were off-put by the Democrats. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. In that, because going it all, for me, it all, I always try to dig back to my childhood. Um, and my, <laughs> we always make the joke, you know, I'm black. So of course my father was never in my life. Uh, he left when I was like four. So him being gone, but then throughout my childhood, always saying, oh, I'm going to come pick you up or, oh, I'm going to come do this. I'm going to do that. And literally me sitting at the front door waiting and he would never show up. Growing up, that transition to me really not liking lies and me not being misled. So... That's why my big passion for like when I realized like, hmm, the Democrats, like the left, it's not very clear. They're not, they're very flawed. I want to look into the other side. That was another main motivator too. It's just, I don't like being misled. And so when I went down this rabbit hole of looking at 
uh, more right-leaning content. And of course, there were some things I disagreed with, but when there were things that really, really disrupted my worldview, oh, it fired me up. Like beyond belief. Like, like what? More. The main one I always go to because I will never forget the amount of anxiety that left my body. Mind you, I've gone to the Black Lives Matter rally, the one, and then doing stuff on campus, bawling my eyes out. Having full, if, if you can ask any of my friends from 2014 to 2016, the worst anxiety. I'm talking, someone could open my door right now and I was screaming, jump. Like I was very, like, easy to startle, uh, panic attacks, the whole nine. The sight of a cop, like there was one time a cop was coming up behind me. I thought he was pulling me over. I pull over, break down crying. So that being said, I hated the police. Um, and I always feared that I was going to die in America. I felt like there was a target on my back for both being black and gay. I felt like, oh, wow, double whammy, double oppressed. I'm not going to get anywhere. They're after me. They're going to get me. Uh, so that's how I looked at things. And I honestly thought if you could, if I could go back and talk to 2016 Amir and ask him, how many people do you think get shot and killed by the police every year? Black people unarmed. I promise you, I would say anywhere between like eight and 10,000. Easy, easy. And so fast forward to getting red pilled when I'm watching Candace Owens, um, you know, as and even for me, I think she's pretty divisive sometimes. Um, but there was a clip of her talking about uh, unarmed black men getting shot and killed by the police. And she's like, oh, more people get struck by lightning than that happens. I was like, there's no way. I was pissed because then you're destructing my worldview. Now I'm personally attacked because I have all these anxieties and all these fears and you're about to disrupt that and break that down if I look these facts up for myself. And that's what I did. And so when I pulled up, how many people get struck by lightning? And I pulled up how many... Black, unarmed Americans um, get murdered by the police. Uh, it was like a weight of anxiety just left my shoulders. And at that moment, I was like, holy smokes. There are a ton of people like me, young Black men, who really think their life is in danger. When I look in those crowds, 2020, as much as I disagreed with them, I had empathy because that their, their pain was real. Like there's genuinely black people who are just, it's brainwashed to think that we're out here getting slaughtered and that's just not the case. So what's interesting about the audience of the hopeful majority, and I think that people within the hopeful majority is they're very ideologically diverse. And I think one of the important things is that oftentimes this is one of the few places where people actually get to interact and experience and hear people perspectives that they would never hear. And I can just hear somebody saying and begging me to say, Manu, play devil's advocate for a moment, play devil's advocate for a moment. And so I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. I want to ask you, you know, there's oftentimes a critique, especially the Republican Party and President Mm -hmm. Trump and folks uh, in Candace Owens' camp. uh, And that critique is often boiled down to something around the fact of uh, those folks oftentimes stand behind uh, white supremacist lines of thinking because they operate on lines of exclusion, that they actually are just after power and that they don't necessarily understand sort of the level of systemic racism that exists in this country. And it seems interestingly enough that you described your fear and anxiety as one where 
you sat there and you were constantly nervous. It, it seems like you understand and empathize with the perspective of sort of what systemic racism many people would purport to be, which is sitting there hoping that the police doesn't shoot you. Right. So a question I got to ask you is how do you grapple with and think about those lines of critique to the other side? <clears throat> I honestly, I just show them <laughs> like the reports. Like, I, like here's the deal. I'm not saying that that doesn't play a factor because it definitely does. Like, for example, I think a lot of the culture plays into it, but a lot of just societal things like there, you can go way back and find interstates built around black neighborhoods. You can find, um, you know, black neighborhoods not getting funding. You can find food deserts in the hood. You can find all these things that contribute to this cycle of uh, just bad things happening to the black community. However, I think there's ways that Black Lives Matter could be, could have been very useful if truth was at the forefront. Because what we do have is uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of Black people who genuinely think that 10,000 plus Black people are getting shot and killed by the cops. This is fascinating. Really quickly, I want you to underscore this. you just said something where it's that you might actually agree with some of the critiques of folks within the Black Lives Matter. You might actually critique, uh, agree with some of the thinking of the fact that it, highways have been constructed in neighborhoods, that there might have been historic redlining. Right. What would you want Black Lives Matter to do differently? I'd love for them to not be so power hungry. I'd love for them to pay attention to and fund more of the local chapters more than they already may do because there are been lawsuits that have been out. I'd love for them to educate black, the black community on the actual crimes and things that are going on. I'd love for them to kind of shift the culture away from this I have to twerk and show my butt. I have to be a rapper. I have to be a ball player. I have to sell drugs and highlight other individuals within black culture. Um, I'd love for them to, and to be honest, because to, to sit here and say that everything is racist is just false. There is also context to sit here and say that white people like Don Lemon, white men are the problem in this country when I'm more scared of people who look like me walking through the city of Chicago than any white person that walks down that street, that's a problem. When you sit here and and say, when I look at the data and I see, we'll break it down to maybe 2% of the entire U.S. population. We're breaking it down to 15, ages 15 to roughly 26, 27 young black men in America make up maybe 2 3% of the population. Committing over 50% of all the murders and all the robberies, to a certain point, math ain't racist. And we got to look at this from an objective lens and say, okay, given that, <laughs> if I'm in an all-white town and Black people are never there and someone looks at me side-eyes because now I'm there, is it necessarily them being racist and them hating me? Or is it them looking at the data and what they're seeing on TV and how we portray ourselves on TV and in social media and them thinking to themselves, am I in danger? 
is there something to be said for the person who lo- owns the local corner store and they know majority of the robberies that cut to happen there are from black men and another black man walks in and they're kind of getting looked at making sure they don't get stolen there's a little context to it so it's interesting yeah no no i i'm sorry uh i just i just want to Again, recap something which is interesting. This is why I love doing the show, Amir. This is why, you know, I will do the show whether two folks are listening or thousands of people are listening. Which is it. that it it helps me realize that there is such a thing as a gay black conservative. That <laughs> that I know. It, I don't even know why that should be said. And, and importantly, what what's fascinating about this and what you're articulating is it's not so much that you might let's say disagree with Black Lives Matter critique of the problem. It seems like right. you have a big disagreement with how they're approaching and positing a solution. And it seems like that conversation does not even happen these days. There's no level exactly. of nuance. It's either you are for Black Lives Matter or it seems like you're on the side of racism. That's all it is. Why do you think that is? It makes the most money. It causes the most rage. A nonprofit can't exist without a problem. I think it'd be, I'm not going to say very easy, but I think it'd be pretty easy to fix the racial issues in this country and the things going on within Black community. But I don't see that being fixed uh, because then a lot of these nonprofits wouldn't make a lot of money. Mm. A lot of these news organizations won't get the clicks. A lot of Black Lives Matter won't get the funding. Uh, they just keep perpetrating the problem like Sean King, or as I like to call him, Martin Luther King or Talcum X, how he likes to just tout all these hateful and just keep stoking the flames and fear of black men and black women. It, it drives me up a wall because it's just not the truth. If you just, it drives me insane. Would you be willing to have a conversation with Sean King? Of course. So, well, actually, I'd be willing to have a conversation with him. If you're trying to debate, I don't want to do it. I don't like debates. I want to have conversation. That's why I, I say conversation. To, yeah. Yeah. So what would you be looking for a conversation? What would you be looking f- f- uh, for from a conversation like that? What would have to happen in a conversation like that where mm-hmm. you said that conversation was successful? What does success look like in a conversation like that where you disagree with someone deeply? In general, with Sean King. Let's say in general. In, in general, general, having a conversation with someone I disagree with deeply and it coming out productive, I would say both of us leaving with ways we can change. One, both of us leaving with not necessarily our mind changed, which our perspective a little shifted, opened, our mind opened a little bit, but also with an action item of what we can take back to our own circles to educate them with. And say, hey, here's some context. I had a conversation. I think that'd be really productive. That's interesting. So taking back something from that conversation that you learned, you take back to others. And that is literally what the hopeful majority is all about, is that you have people from all across the political spectrum with different ideas. And yet what unites us is not an ideology, but a temperament, a mindset. That's fascinating. Now, I know some people that are listening to this want me to go back to that, that, that debate on, on policing and and thinking about criminality. I will Mm -hmm. not go there, not because uh, I don't think that conversation is important, but because I'm not the best equipped to have that conversation with where should people find you if they want to, uh, learn more about where you get your information on those sorts of information sources and points and critiques. Where where can they find you online? Yeah. Just just really um, quickly. 
amirodom.com, A-M-I-R-O-D-O-M.com. And there you'll find my YouTube links, Instagram links, website, the whole nine. And we're going to keep this conversation going. I know normally people ask at the end, but I try to operate the flow of the conversation. I know somebody's listening to this right now being like, Manu, go back. Um, I want to at least have the, yeah. have them have the opportunity to, to see where your information is coming from. So I want to shift gears a little bit, Mir, because I think, uh, again, you're somebody that breaks a lot of boxes and you it seems like you think a lot critically about these ideas. I was okay. just watching one of your videos that, as you as you know, and I don't need to say went viral, um, say, that's titled My Concerns with the LGBTQ Community. Yes. And in that video, I've got it right here, you make a quote. Um, by the way, I'm reading the quote. It says, why should what I do behind closed doors define my entire worldview. Mm-hmm. First, I am a mirror. Where does the courage come from to say something like that? And importantly, how do you deal with all of the blowback that I'm sure you get from people of that community? Um, you know, it's a basic answer, but because it's the truth. And that's just what keeps me going. That's what makes this job very easy, is that I'm trying my best to just tell the truth. Um, and yeah, that's, that's just genuinely how I feel. And the courage comes from me knowing that I'm not saying or doing anything crazy. I'm not stoking any flames. I'm not purposely pissing anybody off. I'm not purposely being, oh, I'm on the right or I'm on the left or I'm super hardcore conservative or I have liberal parts. I'm literally just being a mirror. <laughs> that's all I'm doing. You're not trying and to be a conflict entrepreneur or profit entrepreneur. You're trying no, to be No, like literally, it's all I'm doing. That's what makes it so easy. It's just... I'm just being a mirror. And that is such a true statement for me is I I don't feel like what I do behind closed doors has to define my entire worldview, politics, and beliefs. It goes back to growing up and being black. Why is it that because I'm black, I I mean, I love fried chicken, but why do I have to love only that? Why do I have to trap myself in this box of what a black person is supposed to be. There's literally a TV show called Black Card. There's literally a game show called Black Card Revoked. Why do we keep putting ourselves in these little boxes? And when someone steps out, all of a sudden, oh, you're not black enough. Being gay. All of a sudden, there are a lot of gay people. Oh, you're not gay enough. Or, oh, you know, you're uh, trans-exclusionary. You are this and that. Why do we keep doing that? I always had a conversation my spouse and he's white and he was like what do you think the biggest difference is between white people and black people and i always say white people have freedom like they white people have true freedom white people you can find a white thug you can find a white mom scrapbooking you can find a white uh person riding harleys surfing white people are everywhere but black people we can be everywhere we could be but we lock ourselves in a box if a black person wanted to go camping or hiking, oh, you're doing white people stuff. If a black person did want to make this uh, nice quiche, oh, why are you making white people food? I had my first zucchini until I was 18. That's that's crazy. Don't so, worry, I still haven't eaten a zucchini. But 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 I I want to. If you're yeah. listening, if you're listening to this, I just, I just made a mere a jaw drop. But <laughs> I, I know I know where you're going, and you aren't watching this. But if you're listening to this, I, I have a question for you on sort of this specific notion, uh, which is you said what liberates you and what keeps you going is that you're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people say that to you, what is the truth? And I know that was in the context of that video 
my concerns with the LGBTQ community. So mm-hmm. you can maybe answer it specifically in that context. But when you say the truth, like, what do you feel you are specifically fighting against? Mm-hmm. And what do you feel you're fighting for? I'm fighting against this idea that because you are X, the label, you have to be fully that thing. And I'm pushing for more people just being genuinely themselves because we end up going down a very dark tunnel. And that's what I think a lot of this new, especially like the, the LGBTQ plus add on the acronyms, that's all that is is this personality traits. If we just bring it back to the self, we progress way further. And that's what I want to bring it back to. I'm tired of this notion that because I don't want... I don't want young and black, I always make content for my 16-year-old self. And I don't want young gays, young, young gays in general to think that they, if they are gay, they have to dive deep into Grindr, into drag queens, into the pride parades, the Ram rainbows. Just be yourself. It does not matter. It generally does not matter. And that's what I'm trying to break against. And that's that's why I say. That's why I say, and I'm confident in saying that I am pushing for the truth because there, I, there's no way you are being true to yourself if you are literally a copy and paste clone to everyone around you in your circle. That makes no sense to me. All of a sudden, all these gays are like equality, acceptance, diversity. None of you guys are diverse. You act the same, you look the same, you believe the same. There's nothing diverse about what you're doing and acting or portraying or pushing on everybody else. It does not make any sense. So that's what I'm pushing against. And so I say I'm fighting for the truth. I want to bring out what people really are. Am I more right-leaning? Yes. Do I also have five Beyonce concerts lined up and I'm about to cry my eyes out of each show? Yes. Conflicts of interest, but I don't care. I'm just doing me. And I want more people to just embrace the different areas of their life and be honest and open with it. And I know for a fact, whether you're a conservative, a liberal, whether you uh, deeply believe in Black Lives Matter or you think that there's nothing wrong with saying all lives matter, we can all unify behind a temperament of do me, be an individual, think for yourself because those labels do not supersede your identity. Now, here's a question that I got to ask you, which is that message sounds pretty effective to me for somebody that has a lot of confidence, feels and Mm -hmm. seems secure in themselves, does not feel like they need to be a part of a bigger community to feel safe, to be heard. Um, The devil's argument, the devil's advocacy here would be that it sounds like you're saying that from a position of privilege, that if I'm a gay kid at a school, if I'm a mirror, 16 years old, and I'm Mm -hmm. going through that depressive state, and you're telling me just be yourself, be an individual. Uh, I have trouble understanding that. So can you tackle that for me? I would say stop acting like you know everything. There's a lot of people out here acting like they know everything and speaking on things that they have no clue about. For example, like I loved how you spoke earlier, how you, you said you're not the most equipped to have that conversation. That's rare. There are a lot of people, especially in high schools, that they think they just know everything. They think what they're thinking is 100% right, and that's not the case. And I don't think I know everything. I know I'm still learning, but I'm open to that. I'm open to learning. I'm open to hearing new things. But there's too many people who shut everybody else out. 
I don't want to hear that. I want to talk about that. What are you talking about? You're crazy. You're blocked. You're canceled. So when I'm when I'm saying just be yourself and you know go after what the things that you like and want to enjoy, what I really mean is one stop acting like you know everything, but two stop following other people and following other beliefs because it goes back to how when I was having that conversation on that Starbucks date. I was regurgitating talking points. I had no idea who I was. Because for so long, I was living through other people. I was living through other people's headlines. I was living through other people's ideas of what a gay man had to be, what a Black person had to be, what a liberal had to be. It was never just a mirror. And so I wish more people would, would just disassociate themselves from all these labels and just default to our given label, our name, and build a personality underneath that instead of attaching to oh, I'm black, so I have to act like this. I'm gay, I have to act like this. I am pansexual, now I have to act like this. I am more seen, so I have to act like this. There's too many people, I think, that just dive all in to these different areas of their life when really they can just just be themselves. What do you think the LGBTQ community is doing well? And if the answer is nothing, that's totally fine. I'm just, I think, no, there's always, this, there's always something good somewhere, somehow, for most things, not everything. Um, not for zucchini. <laughs> Listen, I need to get you some zucchini chips. But um, I think they're doing acceptance well. Now, I do think acceptance going, is going downhill because of the TQ+, but if we're looking across the board, I think... Um, Gays in general have done a great job at, uh, you know, just being more accepted and being themselves. There are some people who are out there who are themselves. There are some people who are copying paste clones. I think they've done a good job at showing other people that there's different lifestyles out there, and that's fine. Because for a while it has been fine. Like we're looking at like 2012 to 2017, 2018. Gay relations were pretty much like chill. They're okay. But now we've seen it on the rise of it things hitting the fan because we're bringing children into the mix and people don't like that. Um, so I think overall, like at least prior to the last three years, acceptance, that's been really cool to see. That's interesting because, again, I can just feel myself, I can feel the audience resisting the mm-hmm. urge to say, Amir's against the LGBTQ community, he's against the Black Lives Matter community, and yet, within the Black Lives Matter community, it seems like you, in some ways, agree with some of the diagnosis of the problem, deeply disagree mm-hmm. with how they're approaching that problem. For the sure. LGBTQ community, somebody that's listening to you right now must say, well, me, sounds like you don't give a shit about acceptance. It sounds like you don't give a shit about community, and yet, that's what you see of value. So the question mm-hmm. that I keep coming back to, Amir, that I want, I, I need help, man, with is, why do we live in this like knee jerk world where nuance is impossible to find mm-hmm. nuance? It, it, it almost feels like we're fighting as human nature. And now when I say we, I don't, I'm not bucketing myself with you in the context of your beliefs. I'm bucketing right. you with the context of our temperament, our shared hopeful majority. I said, welcome to the hopeful majority. Why it feels like we're fighting as human nature almost to an extent. I don't know. Am I, is that too, defeatist of a take 
I don't think we're fighting against human nature because I think we, I think technology has led to a lot of the downfall of society. As, as blessed and fortunate as it has made a lot of us, I think there is a lot that has gone wrong. I think human nature, uh, typically what we see when we're on a walk, typically what we see when we're out and about, just like very moderate, just chill for the most part. Um, what I think we're fighting against is, I mean, it sounds a little wonky, conspiracy, whatever, is AI. Like we're fighting against, not even AI, just algorithms. I think we're fighting against us being launched and me literally growing up and seeing it from my little Nokia playing Snake to the world in my fingertips. And everybody just winging it and we're all diving into this and things are being built. And, and I think we're just fighting against the system that's that's pitting us against each other. You know, it's hard to find the nuances when you're trapped in a social media bubble. It's hard to give grace to someone on the other side when all you're seeing is hate, people hating the other side. It's hard to have an open mind when you're, when our mind is not just our brain. Like we are tied to our phones and our devices in this online world. We are a part of that. We are not just human anymore. So when this extension of our mind, our social medias, our, our Instagrams, the Twitters, the Facebooks is feeding you negativity, trapping you in this bubble, not showing you the other side, it's, it's hard to fight against that. It's no, it's, it's no wonder everybody's so close-minded. It's no wonder why we're at where we're at today is because of this. And no one, it's so instant. No one takes the time to fact check things. Everyone was rallying. Yeah, it's just, yeah, that's why. uh, I'll be honest. What I can't get over the fact is that you invoked Nokia. I bet bet half the people under the age of of, of 23 don't even know what Nokia is. Uh, I I barely had a Nokia. Um, That's so sad. Real quick, quick question. I just saw this earlier today. Yeah. If I say... I hid the DS under my pillow. What am I talking about? Oh, well, I'm only three years younger than you, so I know what a Nintendo DS okay, is. Okay, thank you. Thank but heaven. Am I, am okay. I, oh, you know what? I should have I should have I should have just lied just to give you a massive existential crisis before dinner. Look, I, I, I know we're logged off. For everybody else's context, Amir's being so generous with his time because we only started 15 minutes late. But part of the reason why we started 15 minutes late was because when I was prepping Amir beforehand for this conversation. I, I thought a lot actually about how to like flow this, how to think about the dialogue, how to think about where to take this. And where 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 I feel myself going is that part of the reason why we built the show, The Hopeful Majority, and I say we, it's really just, as you saw in the prep time, just me in a mock closet. But but let's say there's a we, you know, let's say there's a big we out there, right? Aspirational. Um, Jess, Jess got to be off the hook for this one. So <laughs> let's say there's a we, right? When we built the mm-hmm. show, I was like, look, I agree with your diagnosis that algorithms are are controlling our society. It seems like everybody seems closed-minded. And yet... Every time I talk to somebody in person, yeah, 
they seem pretty open-minded. Every time I talk to somebody in person, they seem relatively kind. There's, I can probably count on my hands over the last five years how many poor negative interactions I've had with people that are actual legitimate Same. assholes. So my question is, why does there seem to be a mismatch between the online virtual world and reality? In the words of Drake, people got Twitter fingers. They're just scared. That's all they do. They go online, they chirp, they fight. And in person, they don't run up. They don't do anything. Because no one's really that, no one's that real. No one has that much hate. I've gotten the most wildest things in DMs. It, I mean, crazy. But in person, no one does anything. Now, I'm always ready. Someone got come with that action. Best believe and protect myself. However, when it comes down to it, I, like you, I agree with you. I see more people that are willing to have a conversation when it's face-to-face. Um, yeah, because I think it, we're hiding behind this veil of our devices and our phones. And it's easy to be paid. It's easy to be confrontational. But when it's in person, it's way more easy to be loving and understanding. It almost no feels like there's a there's a vocal minority of people out there that are sort of dominating the discourse and then hopeful majority of people. Yeah, see what I did there? That's literally it. Are, and, and it's hard out there. for people to even have a conversation because of how we're tied to our devices, the damage that can be done for someone that does get canceled, the damage that can be done for someone to be outed, whatever it may be, it's hard for people to have honest and open conversations. And that bleeds into a lot of different aspects of our life. Like we can't even go to, you know, a bar or a club without seeing people just standing on the corners on their phone. Like it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's a blessing because obviously we're talking, we met, like we're here with devices and technology, but there is a, a darker evil at play that I think can be beaten. Um, but I, I do have hope that our society will will turn around and actually start having more conversations that are worthwhile and meaningful because that's what we all want. Everyone blames society, society this, society that, but fails to realize that we make up society. Like, are we? Are we like? Oh, society sucks. Or society is this. Okay, that well, is what are you us. Doing we are change? people. You know, we, we are. That's us. That's us. As uh, like, as Dave Chappelle says. Uh, Twitter's not a real space. The real world is. And and yeah. and I've got two last questions for you before I let you go. Um, you describe yourself as a right-leaning, gay, black, conservative that doesn't necessarily fit a box or a label. What is your advice to somebody listening to this? That Typically, I drop conservative just so conservative. I'll leave that. Yeah. Okay. I just say I'm more just right-leaning, black, gay. See, that, well, that's question? that's why I said. I said right-leaning. I didn't say conservative. Mm-hmm. We try to challenge labels. But the question is, is what is your advice to somebody mm-hmm. that says, well, it seems like you're really strong-willed and independent, open-minded, and, and pretty secure mm-hmm. in yourself. Like, what is your advice to somebody for them to be like you, not necessarily ideologically, but temperamentally? Mm. I would say... You can't expect to go through life and have complaints about society or feel some type of way without bringing forth action. You have two options. You know, sit back and take in everybody else's opinions and the things that they're doing and the solution that they're coming up with. Or you can be part of that solution and come up with some things. And the choice is yours. So really... If you're someone that is complaining about society, 
or has some ideas and thoughts that you think are going on that are bad, you need to speak up on it. I'm not saying be an influencer. I'm not saying yell it at the mountaintops. It starts at home. Have a conversation with your spouse, your best friend, your sibling. Just start talking. Like it, it's okay. You don't, it doesn't take, it takes a lot of confidence. I'll admit, yes, to come on here and do podcast appearances all the time, to go on TV, to run a YouTube channel, be seen by thousands of people literally every day. You don't have to do that. It's, it really starts with you and the conversations you're having at the dinner table, at Starbucks, at Starbucks. It starts like that. It starts you having real conversations with real honest people. That's it. And asking questions and being curious and being thoughtful. And little do you know, you're going to be going very far places and you're going to be bringing forth a lot of change in this world by just doing that one step. Yeah, man. I mean, I I was a pre-med student with no real desire to build anything. Uh, and somehow uh, I am now sitting in a in a mop closet uh, t- talking to you. And if you're not watching this, Amir almost spit his water out if you're listening. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Last question that I ask every guest on here, uh, from everybody, from politicians to celebrities to influencers to to, to random people that I'll just talk and have, have on the show, like Uber drivers who are amazing, is what is your why? We talked about it briefly. Uh, my why is death because there was a moment, several moments, <laughs> where I wanted to hit control, delete, and I did not. And I made a vow to myself that I would take every day to become the best version of myself that I can be. For those that aren't watching, I have a tattoo on my arm that says fire. Oh, I'm black. You can't even see it on camera. It says fire. <laughs> and it's the fire inside of me to always be that change that I wish to see. The fire inside of me to keep going and pursuing the best version of myself. Uh, and that's what keeps me going. Understanding and knowing that I don't care if it's like you said before, if it's one person that's impacted or a million. Just knowing I'm bringing forth something to this planet, uh, it, it keeps me going. And it makes me very happy. So that, that, that's, that's it. Amir Odom, I am incredibly, incredibly grateful to you, sir, for being on The Hopeful Majority. And anybody that is listening, as you know, this is not an ideological fight. This is a temperamental and mindset fight. Yes. And importantly, that's because having that temperament that Amir is talking about is what allows us to not only have the best ideas come forward, but that's what actually drives material effing change in this country. This is not about just sitting around having dialogues. This is about creating the world that we want to build in a way where everybody comes along. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This is an amazing time and I love what you're doing with the space. Well, that was just such a powerful conversation with Amir Odom. You know, he identifies as a black gay conservative at a time when we're all supposed to have these different identity markers that mean different things about our politics at a moment where our politics define who we are as people. And yet Amir has the courage to be himself, to speak his truth, and importantly, to operate in a way that he feels is most fulfilling to him as a person. Now, the reason why I wanted to actually have a conversation with you at the end rather than at the beginning as all of our other episodes go is because I oftentimes think that we in our in our democracy fall into the problem of telling instead of showing. 
And I thought that this conversation with Amir would actually go much longer of a way in making the point that I wanted to push forward on the Hopeful Majority episode number seven with you because of the content. And so as a result, I want to reflect on this conversation because it's so interesting. There's, there's two key takeaways that I really took from the conversation with Amir. And those two t- key takeaways are one, Amir is one of the few people in our society today that is an actual individual. Rather than being a spokesperson or part of a tribe, he is an individual. Now, I don't mean individualism in an American sense, or I don't mean, you know, pulling him up by the bootstraps or being, I mean, he's an individual in the sense that he is himself, that he is avoiding the groupthink of our politics and thinking for himself. And the second key takeaway is the value and importance of trust. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into these two things, wrap this up, and then I'm going to see you next week. First, individuality. As I started this uh, conversation with you right after reflecting on Amir's dialogue, you know, Amir says he's a black gay conservative. Now, I don't know about you and forget all the nuance and complexities of of the moment for a quick second. Um, the Democratic Party and the liberals have very key identity factors and the, the conservatives and the Republicans have very key identity factors. You know, I don't want to reinforce stereotypes. So we live at this moment where everybody fits into these neat boxes, where if you are an Indian American immigrant like me, it's probably more likely that you're a Democrat and you think as a liberal. And if you're a a a, a white, you know, rural Midwesterner, well, it might be more likely that you're a Republican. In fact, Amir as a black gay conservative disrupts all of that. And I think we need more of this in our politics. Now, you're going to say and probably disagree with maybe Amir's politics. You probably are going to disagree with some of his ideas and thoughts. But as we said, the hopeful majority is not about what we believe. It's about how we believe. This is not a fight on ideology. This is a battle of temperament, of mindset. Amir, as he talked about his journey, he, as he said, quote unquote, got red-pilled at a Starbucks with his with 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 a significant other that he met on a date. Uh, just for those that don't know, red pilling basically in, in modern parlance means um, going more conservative with how you how you think. Uh, he had this conversation with this person, and then he c- continued to explore. He went through a process of coming out in high school and middle school, and then he graduated and went to college. and And all of this is an example of what it means to be an open-minded individual, to be somebody that is not following the markers of our politics and our party, but instead is thinking for themselves. And this is so incredibly valuable because instead of following our tribes, instead of following dominant culture, if we as people could spend a little bit more time thinking about what we actually care about, a little bit more time parsing through the information that's being fed to us, spend a little bit more time being skeptical of those in power, especially those in power on our own side, regardless of where we sit in our political spectrum. I think that we could go a long ways towards breaking the death grip of ideology and polarization on our society. And importantly, again, as we always talk about in the show, the problem is not, it is not difference. Disagreement. Disagreement, difference, fantastic. We got to have that. We got to have that everywhere we go. But this polarization is about affective polarization. It's this notion that we as people hate each other because of where we stand in our different sides. So Amir represents an individual. That is incredibly powerful. And again, you could disagree with this politics. We went there. We talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about White Lives Matter. We talked about what he thinks are both the flaws of the Black Lives Matter and what he thinks Black Lives Matter has done well. By the way, something that we don't see a lot of in our politics, something that we don't see much of, because again, we have to conform 
to one side or the other. So we pushed back, we challenged, and that is amazing. So an open-minded individual who's willing to have their mind changed. If we could model that temperament, that would be amazing for each of us. And here's the other thing. You disagree with Amir's politics, you disagree with my politics, you disagree with other people's politics. Well, great, let's have those disagreements. The question, though, is how do we have those disagreements? And that's what the hopeful majority is built on. Point number two. Point number two, trust. This might seem like a minor point that happened, actually, when Amir and I were talking about his experience starting to explore more conservative beliefs and how he went to the Starbucks and a conversation with somebody on a date. And I asked him, you know, this question, which was a lot of people when they hear pushback from the other side or a lot of people when they hear different ideas or different opinions are are oftentimes will shut those opinions out or are unlikely to have those opinions or conversations. And so I asked him, like, what makes you uniquely likely and uniquely susceptible? <laughs> let's, let's say uniquely susceptible to being open minded. What makes you uniquely susceptible to being immunized against being a prisoner of your own ideology. And interestingly enough, he kind of joked about it, but this is powerful. He said, it's honestly because I liked that guy and I trusted him. I liked and trusted him. That's it. All of you out there that believe that the other side represents a serious and real existential threat, well, here's one thing. Changing minds starts with changing hearts. We as human beings are emotional creatures. We are social beings. We rely on trust, on empathy, on relationship. We have feelings. You know, there's a popular saying in our politics, facts over feelings, sure. But feelings precede the acknowledgement and adoption of facts. And Amir is a great example of that. He had a conversation with someone that he trusted and appreciated which made him more open to listening and adopting and perhaps exploring the ideas that this person was putting forward. And that is the key. That is why we do the work we do. That is why we're building the hopeful majority. It is about restoring the bonds of trust between Republicans, Democrats, red, white, blue, populist, anti-populist, people that critique the establishment, people that are in the establishment. If we can restore trust, we can have well-reasoned, argumentative, hot, fiery, passionate, and yet constructive disagreement. And when we can trust each other, we can actually embark on the process of what some might believe is necessary, changing minds, and others might believe is necessary for building community. If we restore trust, we have amazing communities. If we restore trust, we create the possibility for progress. If we restore trust, we actually live up to the ideals of this democracy because that is what this is all about. So I am so incredibly grateful to Mir Odom for this conversation. I'm incredibly grateful to you for listening. So let's bring us out. That was episode seven, episode eight next week. It's going to be another fascinating conversation. Remember, every week we come at you live, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. Don't touch that dial because remember, we're building a hopeful majority. And importantly, next week's conversation is going to be another fascinating dive into where we are. And if you liked this content, like, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, leave a review on Spotify, Apple. Remember, we're building a hopeful majority. We need your support every week. See you next week.